Hello, everybody, and welcome to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. My name is Brad Shattuck, and I am your host. This podcast is about my personal experiences, stories, and events with dealing with borderline personality disorder, otherwise known as BPD. My experiences with BPD is due to my wife, now ex-wife, who I have been with for 34 years, was diagnosed with BPD in 2012. And I want to share my experiences with you so that if you are someone who has somebody in your life with BPD, that you may relate to what I'm saying along with my personal tips and suggestions that may or may not work in your specific situation. And if you are someone who has been diagnosed or think you may have BPD, that you may recognize the signs and understand the havoc and turmoil that it can have around people that are involved in your life. Let me caution you that I am in no way qualified or certified in the field of mental health and that my personal suggestions are merely my personal opinion and do not recommend that anybody take any mental health therapy into their own hands, but to personally seek out the help from a professional in the field of mental health. And furthermore, if you are a couple, you might even consider counseling to help further your relationship a little bit better. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thank you again for listening to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. My name is Brad Shattuck, and I'm your host. And today is an exciting episode for me, and hopefully for all of you, uh, my faithful listeners. I've never had an interview on my show. I've had many times where uh, people have requested to do it, and um, I've also offered it. um, But I'm very radio shy. um, Or I should say camera shy, uh, however you want to put it. Um, not that good with talking with people and I figured the most people I'd be comfortable with is my children I have um, three biological children and a stepdaughter my stepdaughter is 34 my wife was pregnant when I met her and my youngest son who's 26 um, his name is Matt and he's um, a prisoner at the New Hampshire State Prison for men he's been in there the last uh, four and a half years and I miss him and um I think out of all my kids, I think he was affected probably the most out of all the kids, probably because he's the youngest. And he's expressed many times that our fighting has uh, interfered with his life. And, you know, the other children were always old enough to leave home. Um, He was as well, but he wasn't in a situation where um, he really was. He was always with us right up until the point when he was taken away. And... um, you know, even through foster care, he was, you know, the youngest child. And um, I just think it'd be really good for all of my listeners to be able to listen on how it can ruin the dynamics of, uh, or the dynamics of a household with somebody with BPD, how it can affect um, the children. And rather than me speaking on their behalf, I figured it'd be a great idea to have them as uh, guests on the show. Um, right now, I um, send an invitation to my daughter. Um, she's 27, and um, to see if she would want to come on the show. And I think she will. She had mentioned interest in it before, um, but I just happened to be talking to my son today and asked him, and he was really excited. He wants to do it. So um, I don't want to make this intro extremely long, um, but what I'll do is um, he's going to be calling me in about an hour. Uh, right now it's June 13th, 6.06 p.m. And um, I told him to call me around 7 o'clock. And I'm going to, um, obviously not going to be live um, as far as what you guys hearing it. Um, it's going to be a recorded episode. 
Um, but I think it's going to be really interesting. I really, really hope you listen to the entire um, interview. I'm actually really nervous about it because, like I said, I've never had an interview on the show, and it's with my son. I don't know if you can hear my voice. I'm really um, um, antsy about this, and I told him. You know, give me some time to try to think of some things to ask him, and he's going to try to drum up some questions um, and answers as well. So it'll be mostly about him and him talking. Um, so um, I don't know if you'll see a resemblance in the voice or not, but anyways, I really, really hope you listen. And what I would also ask, and maybe you could pass it along to anybody you know that's in a situation with somebody with BPD and they have children, and how it can affect the family dynamics. So, with that being said, please listen in. Give me your full attention, and please, like I said, share this episode, pass it along to anybody you know. And、um, he's really excited too because I told him I'll keep account on how many downloads we get on the episode. So hopefully that'll get him excited as well. And、um, also at the same time, if anybody wants to send an email in regards to this episode,、um, if you could put it in the subject line. Um, interview with son or something in regards to interview with son, and I just want to throw a little plug in there for him.、Um, he's a single guy. He's really good looking.、Um, he's an excellent person.、Um, I don't want to get in details about his charges, but it was a mishap with um, um, with one of his ex girlfriends, and um, he's um, he's really a good kid. He really is. Drugs and alcohol is really what affected his life the most and got him into his legal battles. Um, but if anybody's looking for a pen pal and would like to write to him, he's definitely open for it. And I know I got listeners all around the world. I've got them in the、uh, United States, in Canada, Ireland, UK,、um, Israel, the Netherlands. So if anybody's looking for somebody、um, that wants to talk to somebody abroad,、um, he's definitely open.、Um, you could send me an email, and I can give you his contact information. You'd like to write to him?、Um, he's definitely looking. To speak to a female and get into a、um, you know friendship and possibly a relationship,、um, but he's open for mail from anybody for you know from a pastor,、uh, from a male, anybody that would like to write to him and give him any support、um, on you know the trials and tribulations that he's gone through throughout his life、um, and brought him to you know this plateau. He's going to be going up for parole in six months, so hopefully in October. He'll be able to get out on the streets, and I can start a new relationship with him. So, with that being said, please stay tuned, listen, and please pass along this link. And if you know everybody who is looking for a、um, uh, pen pal, like I said, he's a nice kid. He's an awesome, awesome kid. He's good looking, and、um, his name is Matt. So, let's get on with the episode. Thank you again for listening. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. This is Brad Chaddock, your host. And like I said, this episode is really important to me because I have、uh, my son now, who actually is on the phone live with me.、Uh, his name is Matthew. He's twenty-six.、Uh, you're twenty-six now, right, Matt? <laughs> yeah, he's twenty-six years old. So、um, this is my first interview, and like I said, I wanted it to be with a family member and go over the dynamics of how. BPD can、uh, interfere with a relationship as far as the whole family dynamics of how it affects a child growing up and in their adulthood. You know, of 
you know, how they see the suffering of, you know, nobody wants to see their mother and father fight. Um, but like one of the main questions, uh, as a matter of fact, I was just discussing with Matt and, um, and the, the main thing is, is like, you know, when you grow up and you see parents fight, you know, and, and you can, obviously you hear what it's about. And what I was asking him was, is when he realized it was a crossover between actual fighting and there's something seriously freaking wrong here, you know, it could be a mental health disorder. So um, I'm going to turn it over to Matt. And if he could answer that first question of, you know, when you realize it was going from just wacky fighting to it could possibly be, you know, a disorder. Do you have any thoughts on that, Matt? Or did you ever think about that? So, kind of growing up, um, you know, as everybody knows, you know, being a child, you don't really know much yet. Um, a lot of things aren't put into perspective until about your teens, later teens. Um, so, I didn't actually recognize this as being a disorder until my later teens, and uh, as soon as I started kind of being a little more corrupted myself, um, is when I actually realized that it, it was a, a mental diagnostic. Um, to this day, I'm still trying to figure out exactly, you know, how to control it, why it is, or why it came to be. Um, I don't really know what else to, uh, to kind of like. Well, what, you know, what, did you actually remember, like, I don't know if you've ever even thought about this, but was there a point where you thought in your mind, this is more than just wacky fighting because, you know, before 2012, um, and, and just to bring this into um, timeline for you, Matt, this is back when we lived like in Summersworth. And that's when mom really started showing signs of this disorder. Um, that's why in the beginning of my intro, it says when my wife was diagnosed in 2012. Um, and the thing started getting more serious when she started, you know, we'd be like in a store and she would think that the lady in front of me, not only was I staring at her, she would have an entire story by the time we left the store. This is a lady I was seeing. Um, I broke off the marriage with uh, this lady's husband. I had a child with her. And I tried to move into town um, to be close to this woman. You know, that's when everything started getting really serious. So, Matt, but my question to you is, like, did you ever think at one point, like, wow, this is more than just wacky shit going on in the family. There might be some mental health issues here. Did you ever think about that? Yeah, after spending another to bring up uh, back when we were living in Summersworth, um, that's when I actually really started to notice it and actually think, like, this is more than just your typical argument, you know, between relationship arguments and fights happen. That's nothing new. Um with kind of what you know you and mom went through is something more severe and you know there, there was plenty of times where you were being accused of you know exactly like you said just some random person you know would be lying and all of a sudden next thing you know she was saying that you're trying to take them home with you or the waitress had a diner you were trying to get her number and stuff and i'm there with you and i'm like i, I didn't see that if, if anything it was me yeah. Um, Good. I, I have noticed, like, at that point in time, especially when she started accusing of you um, 
potentially trying to get with or be with girlfriends of mine or my brothers um, is when I kind of noticed so long and after multiple girlfriends, it was the same story over and over again. It's when I started to notice that there was an issue here. Um, you mean more than just a regular argument, right? Did you think that? Than, yeah. yeah. More than just a regular argument. There, I was like, there has to be something more. There's something deeper down. It, it can't just be like she's holding a grudge on something that may have been in the past. Like she's really thinking things that are happening that are nowhere near. So it, at that point, I started realizing that it was more of a, a delusion, uh, if anything. And to the point where she herself would tell herself these things and really convince herself that this was true. Because there's times I've seen, like, you know, just be you and I there with, with mom. And you would, you know, go to make some popcorn or something. We're all going to watch a movie, you know, and have a good night. And all of a sudden, you left to go text somebody, but yet your phone was right in front of me on the coffee table. You know, and I know you were just going to go make popcorn or something. Um, oh, so you mean she thought that I was sneaking off to make a text or something? Yeah, you were sneaking off to go text somebody, and I'm like, you know, it's kind of impossible. His phone's right here, you know. If he was trying to go and use the computer or something, we can see the computer from here, but I can clearly hear you in the kitchen. And then out of nowhere, her whole attitude would just change, and it went from a nice family moment to, you know, you're this, you're that, you're cheating on me, you're sneaking somebody in the house, and I'm like, nah, there's, there's nobody here. <laughs> and it's, it's very quiet. You'd be able to see. There, there was no sneaking around in 18th century uh, Victorian house. <laughs> yeah, true. Victorian houses are very hard to, uh, to sneak around. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that, that's when I started noticing a little more of a problem there. And I uh, realized that it was, it was more than just your typical argument. Now, I got a question, and, and I obviously want you to be honest about this. Was there a period before you realized mom had a, ment a major mental health disorder because I don't know if you know this or not, Matt, but just to let you know that that borderline personality disorder, it's ma the majority of people that have this disorder is women. It's like a woman's disease. Um, I don't want to say like a disease, but a disorder. And if for some reason, it's more of a woman's thing. And it's the hardest disorder to deal with in a marriage. Um, it's, you know, not just like depression or something where, you know, the wife will lay down for three days and she wants to die and, you know, she thinks everybody around her hates her. This is the worst disorder to deal with in a marriage. Was there ever a point before you realized any of this stuff that it possibly was true that, you know, I was sneaking around or anything? Did that ever cross your mind? Uh, yeah, there, there was times where, um, I, I thought that it, it probably was too because some of it was so convincing and I, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, why would she just come up with this stuff? There has to be a reason. All right. Yeah. All right. Just so everybody knows, um, the first part of the interview, we got disconnected um, on the phone, but I've got Matthew back on the phone. Um, so you can pick up from where you left off, Matt, where you were saying, um, you know, when you realize it started becoming a little bit more than just, you know, a regular wacky, you know, family argument, you know, and I was asking you about, you know, if you thought any of it was true, 
And, you know, you said you thought um, that you thought it might have been, and that's where we got cut off. So if you can pick up from, you know, where if I, I asked you, do you think any of it might have been true? Yeah, so uh, as I was saying before, Florida got cut off. Um, there was times where, yes, I, I did start to believe that it was true. Um, and, and again, it just seemed like, you know, hearing it over and over and some of the stories that would come up were like very vivid, like, you know, how could somebody possibly make that up? Like that's very detailed to be, you know, a made up story. Um, I was believing it until there was times where I'd be with you guys the whole time and she would come up with a story and I'm like, you know, mom, he never left our side, but what are you talking about? But, you know, at times where I wasn't around and I kind of just heard from an outsider's point of view, you know, I started to, I started to believe it. Um, which kind of brings me up to my next topic, which is, it's a little bit touchy. Um, again, as my, my father stated, uh, I'm currently being housed in New Hampshire state prison for men, uh, the Berlin, facility um i've been here for assault on my child's mother unfortunately uh something that i've always said would never happen i would never commit any type of crime like that and i always had against against um people that have committed those types of crimes and unfortunately i did so for years of hearing my mother you know say that you know my father was going around with our other halves and girlfriends and stuff from a very young age you start to believe that um by this point i'm you know very bad into drugs i'm very bad with alcohol you know bad alcoholic at this time and you know i've heard my mother a couple times say that you know there's a good chance my father could have been around with you know my, my child's mother um and after so long i started to believe this and you know we didn't really have the best relationship with me my kid's mother that is so it kind of made it a little bit worse um it actually got to the point where i started believing my mother's story so much and in my own head i started making the story seem so real that i acted upon it and i, I physically assaulted my my child's mother and the assumption that she was fooling around with my father because of what I went through as a, excuse me, what I went through as a child growing up, listening to this stuff. Um, I can never forgive myself for doing it. I can never forgive any of my actions for it. Um, I've tried multiple times to accept or, uh, ask for forgiveness from my father for the assumptions and the stuff I put him through as, as well as my child's mother. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's very touchy subject. It, it's just kind of showed me the, the past five years I've spent in, in, in prison because of this assault that I committed that an issue uh, with this disease can really affect your children because it affected me and from what I went through um, with my kid's mother and hearing my mother uh, have these accusations towards my father um, really made me start to believe stuff that wasn't true either. And it, it kind of sucks because, you know, as, as time went on, I started, you know, I got sober since I've been in here. I've been clean and I start to think back and I'm like, wow, you know, all this stuff wasn't true. And I destroyed my life and I committed crimes, started using drugs and alcohol at a very young age. Um, 
based off of such accusations through this disorder. And it not only affected me, I'm sure it affected my sister, it affected my brother. Um, I can't say for sure, but uh, about the time I was 13 years of age, I had a suicide attempt. And again, I can't really tell you the reason why I did it, but I was under the influence at the time. But I feel like part of it had to do with this is this disorder because if there was so many fights, so many arguments, there was just so much drama. I was already placed in and out of you know, multiple foster homes at this point to the point where I could not handle anymore. And I actually tried taking my own life. Um, my father was the one that ended up giving me CPR and reviving me, bringing me back. Um, years later down the road with this condition that my mother had, continued and I remember this there was this one time I, I believe I was about 15 16 years old and I just got out of placement again and I wrote them a letter and I made them both come sit with me and I had to intoxicate myself to do it because I couldn't do it sober I couldn't approach the situation being sober for some reason I don't know why but I read to them that you know, sometimes it takes losing a family member or a child to bring people together. And I actually spoke to them about if it took me taking my own life to fix their marriage and fix this disease that I didn't really recognize at the time. But if I had to take my own life, I'd be willing to do that to help their marriage and help them be as one again. And uh, in my mind, that made perfect sense to try to do to save somebody else. But I want my story and my background to kind of show you how such a disease can really affect a child growing up. Because that's all they know. They, you're teaching them, you know, to, to, to follow these lies, to follow these, um, these delusions that they convince themselves of having. And being such you know young our minds are still developing we're learning to believe these lies as we get older so did you when you actually thought that it became you know that this was a mental health disorder did you try to you know talk to mom at all about this or you know i know it's hard for a child to get involved in a family argument but unfortunately at the same time um, you know, you were brought into it because you lived with us more than any of the other kids. Uh, so I don't know what happened like when I wasn't there, but did you ever bring it up to mom that, you know, there possibly could be a mental health disorder and that, you know, that, you know, dad's not doing any of this stuff. I, cause I, I don't think I've ever even asked you that. So do you think, did, did you ever remember asking her or getting in a conversation about that? Yeah, there is times when when I have actually mentioned to her um, if she would seek help because this could be a possible disorder. Um, I've asked her about you know uh, taking either counseling or seeking some sort of um, you know medical assessment to, to understand this disease. Again, I didn't even know what it was at my you know what it was for myself but i did mention it to her because i'm like they, they, it's just it can't be possible that he's doing all this stuff and, and putting you through really what you're doing um i mentioned to her you know some of the stories she would come up with she would conjure up you know a very detailed story you know he did this he did that 
And uh, actually, recently, I've had a phone call with her. I've been talking to her in you know, about a month or more. Finally got a hold of her, and, you know, to this day, um, I know you guys aren't talking. Um, there, there's, you know, a separation there, and she won't even speak to you. But she'll tell me, you know, I'm sure your father was here, you know, something went missing. I think there's girls in the garage. And I'm like, you know, Mom, why don't you set up security cameras? And she's like, I have security cameras. I'm like, okay, so where's your footage of this thing? And she's like, well, I have it. I'm like, so why aren't you doing anything? She was, you know, either you know, talk to somebody, you know, if, if there was such a serious or uh, serious situation here, why don't you bring somebody in? If you need to call the police if you feel in danger. And, you know, the, the most I'll get from her is, well, I have security footage and I won't go, you know, I won't go and uh, seek help. I'll handle it myself. And, you know, I, of course, I'm kind of a, a smart ass, in that say. So I'm like, you know, you kind of can't say you have this proof of stuff, but for years and years, I've been hearing you say the same thing. Why don't you do something about it? And I think deep down, she knows that she's lying. And part of this disorder is not only believing the story she's coming up with, but to kind of make everybody else that's associated with this person you're, you're having these issues with, try to have everybody else associated dislike them as well. Because, you know, if you have all this proof against this person, why don't you proceed to do something about it? Why don't you show the evidence that you have? Why don't you pursue an action of getting help if, if such things were happening? Or, better yet, why stay together for so long if these things are happening for years and years? Um, you know, I hear her say, you know, he's fooling around with this person, he's doing that. I'm like, well, why don't you guys divorce? I've been saying this, I don't even know how long, for, for probably more than 12, 13 years, when I actually noticed it was really starting to become an issue. Not even recognizing the disorder yet, but just thinking, you know, if this stuff was happening, why not separate? Um, no, Matt. Recently. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, it's funny that you just mentioned that because I just did an episode um, that um, I was mentioning about that. Like, mom would, like, um, say, like, she'd hear a car go by and rev up their engine. And she's like, oh, there's your little girlfriend. You might want to get ready. And I would say to her, you know, now, not that that would ever happen, but if... If that was the case, if I had a girl drive by to rev up her car to give me a signal that she's in the area, now you just foiled the plan. Wouldn't you have rather kept your mouth shut, think in your head, oh, there's a girl driving by revving up her engine. He's going to look for an excuse to leave or go. Wouldn't you want to get your camera ready and film it and get the evidence and then say, ha, now you're always saying I'm crazy. He has the evidence. But now, like say hypothetically that was the case, now you just foiled it. So now don't you think that I'm going to go text her and say, Michelle heard you um, rev up your engine. We're going to have to do this another day. And I would say this to her over and over. And I said, you know, if, if it was me and I thought somebody was driving by beeping the horn, uh, because it would always happen. Somebody would either speed by, rev up their engine, beep the horn. I said, now, if I thought that was somebody doing that with you, I pretend I didn't even hear it. And then I'd wait for the excuse, uh, wait for the, the moment that 
you look for an excuse to either leave, go for a walk or go outside or something. And I'd have my video camera ready. And then I'd video and get you in the evidence. Why would I spoil the plan? You know what I'm saying? Doesn't that seem like logical? So that almost touches on like what you just said <laughs> of saying, you know, about getting the evidence and everything. So did she, did she ever respond to you about that when you said about evidence or anything? You know, that's why I said I'm glad that you brought it up because it was just very coincidentally, my last episode was exactly on that point. You know, I used to say to her, you know, in like I was saying in some of my previous episodes, Matt, you know, I feel bad because I used to tease her a lot. You know, I used to say, you know, like when a car would drive by and they would beep, I would get so frustrated that I would be like, oh, there goes my girlfriend, you know, beeping away. And after a while, it made me really get upset that I was ignorant enough not to realize there was a mental health disorder, that, you know, there was a serious issue, you know, that, and I, here I am making fun of it, you know, and how here it is, you know, probably a little bit too late where I'm doing all this research and finding about her disorder and have my podcast and everything and realizing that if I had done all this research before, maybe things were a little bit different, but I still put the blame on myself because like my aunt told me one day, you can't change anybody else and you can't sit there and do all the work for them because until they actually believe that there's an actual, you know, uh, this fault on their part, you know what I mean? That until they can admit that there's actually fault on their part and they try to seek help for it, there's nothing that I can do to make a difference. She's still going to think every time there's a horn beeps by or somebody runs up their engine or slams on their brakes or something that is somebody waiting for me <clears throat> and all these different um, things that I would try, you know, like I said, with, of telling her, you know, if I was going to do that, you just foiled the plan. You know, that was all stuff that was good and dandy to try to appease myself, but it wasn't helping her because in her mind, no matter what I said, when in one ear and out the other, it was always, she was right. You know, there was nothing wrong with her. If there was a horn beeping, it was definitely somebody beeping for me. You know, even if you said, mom, there's going to be a horn beeping in five minutes. It's for me. It doesn't matter. It was still for me. You know what I'm saying? But I'm just saying, I, I was touching on that because I just did an episode based on that specific um, subject about, you know, foil on the plans. But so the other question I was going to have, like, to access um, your podcast in here, which I don't, because 
you know, I, I would like to, for, for my own, be able to hear a little more about it, especially hear about your thoughts, because, you know, we, we haven't really ever talked about this other than here and there. Um, for all the listeners out there, not just because he's my father, but great guy to listen to, full of information, very smart man. Um, I, I'm actually happy to hear, you know, the results he gets from you guys listening, because... I have some disorders myself, I feel like, and if I had somebody that could speak upon these types of situations and I was able to listen to them, would have been a huge help for me and actually helped control my life at an earlier age. So, you know, thank you for all the listeners that do actually put their time into trying to learn more about these disorders. It's very appreciated. And I thank you. No, I thank you for putting that plug in there, Matt, because it, it does. Because yeah, in the same way with me, if, if I was a little bit less arrogant. Well, and I don't want to say arrogant so much. It was like, I felt I could cure mom. Like I, I, I figured more that all the research and everything that I could do was going to change things. But, you know, again, it's unless they can admit that they actually have an issue nobody's going to make anything change differently. I tried for years and years, you know, to tell her, and I tried to make her see reality, you know, that it's kind of crazy that things like this could happen. Like you, you saying I'm sneaking women into the basement. I remember one time I said, why would I sneak women through the window in the basement? We have a front door and a back door. And she would say, well, that's too easy. Or she would come up with some crazy answer. And, you know, I tried like making her see reality and, and like, get her out of this fantasy world. And I remember telling her one time, I said, the only way that I would cheat on you is if I could find a woman that has 100% of everything you had, your looks, your body, your thoughts, your your DNA dynamics, everything. But I said, and even then it wouldn't happen. You know, because I said, I told her, I said, you physically fulfill me 100% of everything I need. Mentally, physically, I, I feel comfortable with you. And she would get upset sometimes. She's like, but every time you lay and cuddle up with me, you fall asleep. And I said, because that's a feel, I feel so comfortable being next to you. Remember how many times you tease me all the time that every time we lay down and watch a movie, I'd fall asleep. Remember I was well known for that? Oh, yeah. And that's the thing is I used to explain to her. It wasn't the fact that I fell asleep with the movie. It was because me, you, and Matt would lay down and I just felt so, you know, it's like a kid with a teddy bear. You know, I felt so comfortable no matter what problems I had throughout the day, you know, and I was upset. You know, just being with you guys made me feel so secure that I could fall asleep so easy. You know, in the same way with here, you know, my mother says every time I go in the living room, I fall asleep. It's the same way if I have, you know, if I'm in here and my mind's going too much, I go out there and I sit out there with them watching TV, I fall asleep. It's because I feel secure. You know what I mean? And it's just like with any kid, you know, a kid, you know, is, is being crying in the crib. What do you do? You pick them up and they, they hear your heartbeat or you give them a teddy bear or pacifier, anything where they feel comfortable and they go to sleep. And I used to tell her, I said, you know, don't take offense to that. If I was you take, you know, be proud of that, that, that you can actually make me feel so comfortable that I actually fall asleep. And I remember one time, um, this was just last year. She had a wicked bad day. She was thinking about her mom because her mom just passed away a few years ago. And um, I put on a movie and she fell asleep like 10 minutes into it. And we got up during the night and she said, wow, I know exactly what you're talking about now. And I said, what? 
And she said, I was so upset earlier about my mom. And, you know, you went out and you made me a cup of tea and tried to make it some popcorn and make it a nice night for me. And 10 minutes into the movie, I fell asleep. She goes, but I knew you wouldn't be mad because I'm trying to tell you, I know what you mean. I felt so comfortable and reassured laying in your arms that I actually, you know, fell asleep. And I said, now you can see what I'm talking about, you know, that. So there were certain things that I did speak to her in, in a way of connecting with her. But as far as in her mind, the biggest thing people with BPD is they have a fear of abandonment. So if they feel a car keeps going by and beeping, that might be a girl that's beeping for me. Her fear is abandonment that I'm going to go with another girl and I'm going to abandon her. So she'll try to do whatever she can. Um, Cause I've asked her before, well then why would you fight with me and tell me to leave if you don't want me to leave? Because in their mind, it's easier for them to handle telling you to leave than dealing with being abandoned. You know what I mean? Like they want to beat you to the punch. And I never could understand that. And I've told her that before. And I said, <clears throat> you know, I can understand where it's frustrating, where I can't understand your dynamics, just like I can't understand how, why you think the things you do. So I used to tell her, I don't think you're crazy. I know you have a disorder. She's admitted she's had a disorder. But, you know, again, I'm probably getting a little off the path about the family thing. But now... Back to the question I got for you, Matt, is like, did it get so frustrating for you that like, I, I know many times like we'd have an argument, whether it had to be with mom saying I have, was having an affair with one of your girlfriends or not, but I know I could see the frustration in your face so many times when you would try to get it through to her head and she would fight against you and then she would get mad at you because it seemed like you were taking my side and we would both tell her, you're not taking sides. He's trying to take both of our things and say he's not doing this stuff and do you remember that many times how she would fight with you because she thought that you were taking my side yeah and it, there, there was a lot of times fights would arise between her and i because it'd be like I, i'm taking your side and you know it, it, it theoretically could be because i'd be sticking up for you like these things that you're thinking are not happening like I know the truth, I'm trying to tell you, like, they're not happening, so she would take it as, you know, everybody's against her, I'm just taking your side, and that also leads to, you know, I, I, I can't even count how many times I was told, pretty much, like, I have to choose between the two of you guys, you Yeah. if I yep. was going to talk to you, she wouldn't want to talk to me, I would have yep. to either choose her or you, because... It couldn't be know, one or the other. Exactly. Yeah. And I wouldn't do that. I'm like, I treat both of you equally. You know, yep. granted, I, I, I was born and grew up a, a mama's boy. You know, like yep. my mother was, was my heart, my soul, still is. But there's always a bond between a father and a son that you cannot break. And yep. like, I'm not going to choose either one of you guys. It's either both of you or neither of you. And, and I, I still agree with that. As a kid like that, and I, I still do. I still think that. And I still agree with that. If I'm wrong, I've told you before, and I've said it right in front of her. If I'm wrong... He's going to be pissed at me. How many times have me, me and you've come close to fistfights? Because if, I, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But she used to think, you know, and I used to tell her how many times you guys were getting in an argument. And she said, you're just taking his side. And I said, Michelle, I don't want him to take sides. He wants this fight to end. And he's basing it on facts. You know, like you said, I've been with you guys, excuse me, all day. There's no possible way 
that it could have happened what you're saying you know she said there was a horn outside beeping and i was going to meet somebody he's not taking sides he's basing it all on facts which we all should and i give you a lot of credit for that because that's what you were doing you weren't taking sides you weren't saying i'm sticking up for dad i'm sticking up for you mom i'm basing this stupid argument based on facts and you were very good at doing that and you would point out i've been with you guys all day he hasn't left the house he hasn't been using a cell phone this is ridiculous but you know in her mind because it's with her it wasn't basing it on facts it wasn't equality it was either i'm right or i'm wrong and that's how it was and i don't know if you know this matt but with bpd it's uh they have a thing called a matter of fact disorder and it is it's a matter of fact it's either black or white yes or no um right or wrong there's no gray area you know either i'm saint or i'm a saint um, excuse me either i'm a saint or i'm satan i'm not n nothing in the mean i'm not a decent guy i'm not a good guy i'm either bad or i'm evil you know what i mean so um yeah, exactly. But I don't mean to keep taping you on course, but it was triggering some certain things that I'm remembering as you're talking. But, you know, but the end. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. And I, I, I definitely can see, like, thinking back, and I used to, you know, butt in and say that he's not taking sides. He's basing this argument on facts. And it's not that he's getting involved. Um, well, the times you would get involved with, number one, if we were trying to, like you said, have a family night, we we're trying to watch a movie. And all of a sudden, a car, and I would cringe, Matt, to be honest with you. Like, when we were in Summersworth, remember we had the couches right near the window facing the main road? And it was a beautiful spot the way we had the living room set up. And we'd have the windows open in the summertime, and I would hear, like, a car rev up or beep, and my body would immediately quiver, like, oh, here goes this freaking night, you know. And I still did it to this day. Like, even me and Mom went together just up until two months ago. And if I heard a car squeal, peel out, rev up, or anything like that, I literally would cringe. And I'm like, oh, here goes my night. Nine out of ten times, it was. Because all of a sudden, she would take my bags, throw them outside, and go, you can leave. Go be with her now. You know, but so, like I was saying, you would stick up if it had to do with, you know, us have, involving us having a family evening. Or just if you were sick of hearing it. You know, or, you know, but you never... The good thing was you never got involved unless like you were like obliviated on, on drinking. Cause when you were drinking, you were one of those that had like liquid courage. Like anybody could piss you off. It could be a priest, you know, didn't hold the door for you and you want to kick the shit out of them. <laughs> but you know, as far as getting involved, you know, with arguing with me or mom, like I said, you didn't bite in except for the fact of if it was a family night, or if you knew the facts, you know, like you, I remember many times me and mom would be arguing and you'd walk in and be like, you know, listen, I don't mean to like get in you guys' business, but like dad's been here all day. He hasn't even had, like, even sometimes when my cell phone wasn't turned on, you know, he hasn't left the house or anything. This is ridiculous. But you only butted in, you know, when you knew the facts. I don't even want to say butt in, but, you know, chime in unless you knew the facts. But the other question I got for you is I remember many times arguing and you used to say you would always bring back to your childhood you would always refer back to your childhood and the reason i'm asking you with this because i don't remember do you remember saying that and what did you mean by that and like how do you think it affected your childhood like with us arguing especially not knowing she had a disorder back then you know do, do you remember any of that 
I remember very uh, bits and pieces of my childhood uh, for for two reasons. Uh, one of them, the suicide attempt, uh, somehow it was able to block out some of my long term memory. Uh, so I don't remember much of that. Also, uh, our brain does this defense mechanism where when certain bad things happen to us or depressing things, we tend to block it out. So there's a lot that I can't really remember from that because my, you know, our brains do this as, as a defense. Um, but growing up with, with these fights, you know, being a kid, I used to think, you know, is it because of I'm the reason that this is happening? You know, what did I do wrong to cause this? Hence, in that, the, the letter I wrote to you guys, where I was like, if I need to take my own life to make you guys feel better, that was me taking accountability, saying, you know, this must be my fault. I have to be the reason why this is happening because, you know, it wasn't so bad for years and years with, you know, my eldest sister, my brother, my other sister. Um, it was by the time I was born and after is when these things would really start to occur and the fights would happen. And I didn't know it was a disorder, so I'm thinking, well, it's because I was born. Especially because I wasn't exactly planned, um, sort of thing. And, and I always thought that it was me. It was because of me. So, like, I don't even know how to, like, really say this, but, like, do you, did you, ref I think, what I'm trying to say is, I know, like, a lot of times, your anger, uh, how do I explain it? Like, a lot, all right, so I had to break up the episode a little bit, and going into, um, this is going into part two of the episode with my son, Matt, um, the, the last part of part one, I was trying to ask him, um, anytime there was an argument, Matt, like you would always bring back about your childhood. You would say something like, um, you know, I don't remember the exact references, but you know, this is what happened when I was growing up or whenever I was a kid. Um, did you have any meaning behind that? Or can you maybe further elaborate like what you meant? Or if you remember, do you, like, do you remember what I'm talking about? I was saying earlier, uh, from the bits and pieces that I do remember, when I would work about, like, you know, this is how it was growing up, it was kind of touching base as it was constantly fighting, arguing, and blame um, more from, you know, the disorder from mom blaming you, but, you know, me and the other kids would be dragged into situations where you would have to be confronted with, you know, uh, do, you know, what did dad say last night? Or what did we fight about? And why did this happen? And we're just kids. So it's like, I'm like, I don't even know why you guys are fighting. So I don't know why you're asking me questions about what happened when I have no idea. So you know, being, being more older, when I would reference back about, you know, this is what would happen when we were kids, that, that that continues to happen. Even me being in here in prison, I wouldn't talk to you guys, you know, include a mom for oh, yeah. you know, long yep. periods of time. Yep. And the, the first time I would call, you know, the first thing is, you know, what did you say fucking last year? Oh. to 
explain or define the situations that were going on. Getting involved in our arguing. Yeah. yeah. I was always brought into it. And again, like I was saying, even being here, I wouldn't talk to you guys for periods of time. And when I do call, I'm still dragged into the middle. And I'm like, I haven't talked to either of you guys in, in months. I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> and I'll get dragged into it still. Like, yep. You talked to, you know, you talked to dad the other day and you know she dealt with this person and that person. I'm like, I don't talk to either of you. If I don't talk to one, I don't talk to either. So, but we're pretending, you know, this is how I grew up. That It's been the same thing. Since I was a child, it's just been progressively getting worse. You mean still progressively getting worse, or just about the same, or you? Uh, no, still progressively getting worse. Like I, I, I touched base on a little earlier. I recently spoke to mom, and it still has something to do with you. And that was just you know a couple days ago. Yeah. So, I mean. You guys aren't really talking, so it's not like it's getting worse, worse now that you guys are finally starting to get separated, which it's sad to see that it has to come to that point. But I wanted me to bring up something earlier is um, we were talking and you were explaining, you know, how you miss mom, how you, you were trying to do things for her for her birthday. And I told you, and it's as much as it hurts me to say that you guys just have to go your separate ways. You know, it's very unfortunate. And, you know, part of this disorder is having, you know, abandonment issues. And I know you made a promise to her that you would never leave and you would, you know, never just leave her high and dry. But there's going to be a time when enough is enough. And you can't put yourself through the stuff you go through. I mean, it, it, it affected us as kids as well. You know, a lot of the stuff I did was trying to be rebellious because of the stuff that was going on at home. And it got to the point where I was, what, you know, 13 years old after I tried committing suicide. I yep. wanted to move out and go on my own. I think there was countless amount of times just to show you guys how serious I was. I brought you and mom to sections in the woods in the freezing cold dead of winter and show you where I made little little influence to live as a teenager because that was more secure for me than being at home at that point because of the disorder and the constant fighting. And being somebody you know, has the other half and the vows you did commit when you guys got married, you know, you did the best you could with trying to stay, be loyal you know, and not abandon her. But you got to realize how it affected everybody, not just the kids, but friends and, and, and extended family too. Like, we didn't, I, I don't have a great relationship with aunts and uncles because of the situations that would happen because of this yep. disorder. My, the rest of my family wouldn't even want to be around us. We, we don't, we didn't have holidays. We don't even, to, to me personally, holidays don't exist because, you know, it would be some certain time of year, whatever that holiday is, and one little thing would cause such a big issue, and it would just, it, it, would, it would turn into a disaster. And I understand, you know, it, it's hard for me to understand on a level of, you know, and, and that's why I, I wanted to do this 
this interview because I don't. The good thing is with, with this podcast is like I was mentioning to you, there's a lady in England that wants me to be on her show and she wants to be on my show is because a lot of the podcasts that have to do with BPD is either the perspective of somebody who has the disorder or like in my case, somebody who's on the other spectrum of the disorder that I had to live in that dynamic. And here's one that I've never heard of the child, you know, being involved in the dynamics of it. So, you know, I can't speak for you. Um, you know, I can relay on how, you know, of things that you've said um, that you've heard or things that how it affected you. But this is why I wanted to get your perspective, you know, in your words with your emotions on, you know, how this affected your life. And, you know, to me, I've apologized many times. And like, like your older brother, Mike has said many times, it's a selfish excuse when I used to say, you know, I wanted to stay with mom because I loved her. I still do. I love her more than the air that I breathe. And I would still live and die for, I mean, I would kill and die for her. And Mike's like, yeah, but that's a selfish excuse. You know, just because you want to be with her, you wrecked our lives. You know, and I hate hearing that I wrecked your lives, you know, because I understand from the age of 18 down, you know, you had to live in that environment. You had to deal with it and listen to it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I understand you guys didn't want to live in a hostile environment, but at the same time, I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be loved by the woman that I love, you know, and ever since I met your mom, you know, I was 18. She was 16. She was the first, my first real girlfriend, the first woman I ever made love to my first true love. And I never wanted to leave. I still don't. And I don't see, you know, in a way I can see it's selfish to say, you know, I should have thought of the kids first. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I'm thinking of you guys. But then I felt I would have been an emotional wreck because I would have been living by myself, having you guys come over for visits. And I never planned on dating anybody else, just like I still don't. I'm still faithful to mom. I still don't want to see anybody else. And that's I just felt I would have been an emotional wreck, that I wouldn't have been any good being in the position of arguing with her or being out of the position and being an emotional wreck when you guys come over, seeing like, you know, you don't want to see us, you know, like, you know, we're not going to want to do anything because I was so depressed when I wasn't with mom. And, you know, so I can understand what he was saying. It was a selfish act on my part, you know, that he's like, you're just thinking to yourself just because you wanted to be loved. You know, what about us kids? But, you know, I just wanted to have us that whole family of mom, dad and child, you know, of us all being happy together. And unfortunately, I guess that never happened. And as hard as I tried you know, and like I said, if it, I know for a fact, if it was not for your mother's disorder, and it's not her fault, it's not, not it's nobody's fault for any disorder we get, whether it's PTSD, people aren't made to go to war, you know, it's not her fault she got this disorder, but everybody says yes, but if you have a disorder, it's up to you to get help for it, and I understand that, but also, I defend her in the part of, if how do you know to get help for something if you don't know that it's hard for you to understand the difference of reality and your own reality? You know what I mean? If she really thought I was sleeping with somebody, you know, but still, I do have to put blame on her as far as she should have been said, okay, if a thousand people telling me that there's something wrong with me, isn't it worth it at least to go see somebody to see if there is something wrong with me? You know, I always say, what is it going to hurt? You know, that's, that's the way I feel, you know, give it a try. What is it going to hurt? 
and she never did that. She refuses to do that because her, in her mind, her reality is re is real. But the other question I got for you is like, if you could go back, do you th what do you think that could have been done differently? In your opinion, just in your opinion, because I know you, you never had a real family, you know, living together, you know, uh, so it's kind of inexperienced on your part to ask this. But if you could go back, do you think there's anything that we could have done differently to make you guys a little more happy? Or I should say you, you can't speak for the other kids, but I mean, do you think there's anything in your opinion to speak about going back and being able to change anything which I can kind of relate this to my own situation um, I, I would say that even given all the crap that, that went on um, there should have been some space taken because there, there was trust broken between the both of you uh, long long ago and I feel like that trust being broken may have triggered more of the disease to come out. Not just no, you're right. Um, you're right. In this case, with the with the BPD, but depression and the anxiety of everything else, and it's just a toxic snowball effect. Um, I would have, if I could go back and change, I would try to have you guys separate at an earlier earlier time in your relationship to take that break and really see. You know, is this meant to be? Um, unfortunately, with what we've been through in life and not really having a family that was glued together, um, I tried to hold on to my family. And I was in a toxic relationship, as we spoke upon earlier. Yeah. And because I didn't have a family, I tried holding it together, and that only made it worse. And here I sit today because of that. So I literally did the one thing I said I didn't want to be like because I, I didn't want to be like you know mom growing up with the, the, the toxicity between the relationship and for my my son you know for the, the um, just the fact of keeping a family together I dealt with the drama and the possible disease that you know my kid's mother may have had at the same time yeah. Um, my, my only recommendation would have been to try to take that break or to just not let any of those events in the past happen because maybe things should be a little bit differently if trust never got broken in the first place. And it's hard to swallow. And that's not saying like we didn't have a good child, you know, a childhood. Like we still had our lives. We still had a family. It was just fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. But that's not to say that even how mad that we were with each other, with everybody, we were always there to protect each other's backs. No matter what, we were, we were still a family. We're still the shadows. And, and I'll say one thing, Matt. The, the one thing that a lot of people have always said about us is, you know, of course, in the town we grew up in Fremont, it was a very rich town. Well, I don't say rich, rich town, but I mean, we were probably the poorest people that lived in that town. There's no lie about that. I mean, I made good money, but I was irresponsible with finances. You know, I always gave you guys everything you ever wanted. You know that. You guys wanted a dirt bike, you got a dirt bike. You wanted mini bikes, I got you mini bikes. And I was that type where if it was the choice of paying the rent that month or getting you guys 
you know, $1,500 dirt bike, I would have gotten you guys the $1,500 dirt bike. I admit that was wrong, but I just always wanted to give you guys everything you always wanted. Um, but what I was trying to say was people always said that we were so close and it was like you kids were always close to each other. Like if somebody fucked with Mariah, Mike was there, you were there to beat the crap out of them. Uh, you know, people knew not to mess with her or somebody knew not to mess with you because Mike was going to beat the shit out of them. You know what I mean? We were a very close family. And just like at the school, like whenever you guys got in trouble, you know how mom was. She went nose to nose with the principal or whatever. It's like they knew enough. Like yeah. as soon as they saw mom coming, they all like put, they all like scattered at the front desk of the school. <laughs> but, you know, everybody knew we were a close knit family. And, you know, the same thing with you guys. Like I was never an absent dad. You know, I was always there when I came home. After working 12 hours, I would grab one of you guys and go to the store and have you guys shop with me. Um, or, you know, if I had to come home and leave again to go to the hardware store or something, I always brought with one of you kids. I always made sure my biggest thing was when I came home from work, I always checked in at home first. Um, even if I had, you know, if mom said you have to go shopping, you know, on the way home, I never did that. I stopped at the house. And you remember this, I'd always grab one of you guys and go to the store because I wanted to have as much time with you guys as possible. So even if shopping was only going to take me a half an hour, it only took me five minutes to stop at home and get one of you kids. And remember, I used to bring you kids to work with yeah, me on the weekends. Photos, we're, we're with you. Yeah, that's what I mean. On the weekends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'd stop at home. And I mean, on the weekends, I was allowed to bring one of you guys to work with me and I'd let you guys play in the trucks or play in the office. I always try, even though I worked a lot of hours, I still valued spending time with you guys. You know, and like when I came home, if I had work to do, yeah. the first thing I did was try to spend time with you guys. And then when you guys went to bed, I'd stay up till midnight if I had to, knowing I get up at five in the morning to do my work after, because I shouldn't have to come home from work to do work. And then you guys go to bed and I never saw you guys. So I tried always yeah. balancing work and, and home life, um, but I'm probably getting off key here. The question I got for you, and I, I've never asked any of you guys this, did you guys ever discuss behind me and mom's back like like what you would rather see you know like did you guys ever say like oh man i wish they would split up or did you guys ever have any discussions about family life you know without me and mom knowing or even as adults or uh, yeah i mean there, there was you know quite a few times i've kind of briefly expressed um you know some sort of mental issue with whether if it was with the BPD or if it might have been something else. Um, I've expressed that to each of the family members. Um, I think me and Mariah, me and Mike may have had more conversation than Nicole and I, but probably Mariah and I more than anybody. And, and it's not like it was long discussions. It was just like kind of brief, like, you know, I yeah. think there might be something a little more mental here than what we think. Um, but it, it, we would have some discussions on it. I've expressed numerous times to both of them how you guys should separate, how you guys should meet new people, which kind of, and to rewind a little bit to the last discussion we're just having, um, if it's with this, is one of the only other things that would have changed that I've also discussed with you know my siblings was you, you guys should have had more friends in your life. Because of this disorder and, and prior to it, um, I think it'd be fair enough to say that you and mom didn't really have a social life. You guys didn't really have many friends out there. So, you know, 
kids and getting older, we were more friendly and friends with you guys than anything. So it kind of became a little destructive where instead of being the kids and being, you know, possibly disciplined when needed, we were more of the friends. And I feel like that kind of went hand in hand with if you guys had more of a social life, you know, oh man, there was a couple times where you you had jobs together with each other almost 24-7. So that causes irritability in a relationship and then you want to add this this disability into there. Now the first chance you have to be away from each other is automatic insecurity. Exactly. Yep. I I feel like that that probably would have helped a little bit to have someone of a social life back in the day. So that's something that I used to mention to to Mike and Mariah was, you know, I wish you guys would go out and have a little more of a social life and try to earn that trust back around other people again. And I think I, um, I think I explained to you before that, you know, I think it was more of a mutual, um, uh, how do I want to say, it? a mutual agreement between me and mom. Me, me and her both are introverts, and you know we were very non-social people. And she was my best friend, and I was her best friend, so we felt we didn't need anybody else, you know. And there was times, you know, we tried having, you know, we get with a group of people and we just felt uncomfortable because mom kind of had social anxiety and I had social anxiety. So that's why we had so much in common. That's why it was so hard for me to ever leave her because she was like my other half. It was like somebody taking your body and splitting it in half. She, you know, she could finish my sentences. I could finish hers, but I, I understand what you're saying. We probably should have had people that, you know, she go out with the girls on a Friday night or a Saturday um, and I've told her that many times. As a matter of fact, there was one time years ago um, when Mariah was living over in Kingston and I told mom to go out with the girls that night, go out with me, and she did. But in her mind, she said, I was just doing that so I would have an excuse to be able to go out with guys. And so no matter what I tried doing, it somehow backfired on me. And she's like, you're just doing this so you can go out with the guys sometime. And I said, no. I said, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't ever want to go out with any other guys or people. I go, this is just for you. So you can go out and have a good time. And she, we actually had an argument about it, Matt. And she's like, I don't want to go out with other people and hang out. And I said, can you do me a favor? Just do it. So then guess what the argument came about? Yeah, because you're going to have somebody here when I leave. I said, no, it's not about that. So it became a two-sided, ar- I mean, a, a two-pronged argument of either I was going to have somebody I was hanging out with while she was gone with Mariah, or I was going to use it um, against her in the future and say, well, you got to go out. So, I mean, I did try. I really did. But, and it was sad because I remember that night she said, I don't need to go out with other people to enjoy my life. She said, I, I enjoy spending time with you. And it broke my, it didn't break my heart. It melted my heart because she said, because I told her before, I said, I don't want you having thinking you have a boring life by, you know, not going out and hanging out with people. And she said, but anything I need, you provide. She said, I, I enjoy watching movies at home with you. Or if we go out, we go out to the movies or the beach. She said, there's nothing I need outside of our relationship. And that's exactly how I felt. And I looked at her and I started crying. And I said, you know what? That's exactly how I feel about you. 
But, you know, I ended up talking in, to her into going, going out with Mariah that night with her friends and stuff. And, um, but that's how it was with us. It, we were a very unique couple that we did. We satisfied each other's needs. There was nothing. She literally made my life complete. I, I literally was never bored any minute with her. I, we could be at home with no electricity, no TV, no cell phones, and me and her could enjoy each other's company. I showed my mother videos um, of me and mom last year of mom singing and dancing, and I was laughing. And I said, you would think that we were two teenagers who just met, like we were having new love. And you would never realize like this couple was together for 34 years. We enjoyed each other's company. But again, I understand what you're saying. It still might have been more healthy uh, to have a group of friends, a separate group of friends, you know, or, you know, together. But and I think we did. But I think we used it as you kids. You know, because what did we always do? We went and visited Mike at his house, him and Jen. We'd go over to Mariah's and or we'd go with you wherever you were living. Did you remember that? That's kind of what was our circle of friends was our family. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, yes, yep, exactly. So I think we utilized you guys as our group of friends. So we tried, but I don't know, for some reason, it always failed with me and mom because we did. We we enjoyed each other so much that we were unique. And I see what you're saying that because like you, Mike and Mariah, you guys are wicked social people. Like you guys, it's it's hard to explain. Like you guys like can walk up to a stranger and get in a conversation with them. <laughs> but, you know, I understand. But, you know, but that's why I wanted to know, like if you guys had conversations, you know, amongst yourselves, you know, about what you think should happen and stuff and you know but uh, you know yeah. but you know it's like i said with this go ahead go ahead matt no no i was just saying this interview is for you so i you know i just wanted to get your perspective on everything i didn't want to take over the conversation yeah no no it's it's pretty it's, it brings me a little more insight to be able to speak upon too um that kind of leads into another thing I was going to bring up was um, when you were saying how you guys had some social anxiety and you weren't really that social, you know, other than around us and the family. Um, I feel like some of that social anxiety was there was a bit of shame there. And it was either shame for, you know, whether we had a bad name from growing up or it could be ashamed of each other. It could be ashamed of the way you looked. Anything, um, and a lot of insecurities insecurities uh, arise from that. So I wanted to bring up. Um, I'm actually reading this book right now, and it's called "I Thought It Was Just Me, But It Isn't," and it's by Brene Brown. It's making the journey from what will people think to I am enough, and it, it, it's based a lot on being ashamed of yourself, of other situations, and the blame we tend to put on other people. And I feel like in a situation like this, especially with this type of disorder, shame and blame goes hand in hand and actually um, could, could make this disorder grow into something much more destructive. Um, it's some of the things that this, this book says, and I do want to point out it is, it was originally designed for ladies. Um, so any of our lady listeners, this is a great book. Uh, 
if you want to discover a little more about yourself or anybody else with shame or even BPD, this touches base upon it. But for any of the guys listening as well, it is the same thing for us. You know, we do, men and women both think alike, and we have a lot of the same feelings. So don't be discouraged by reading and thinking, oh, it's just for females. Being guys, we have emotions too. I highly recommend uh, anybody to read if they want to discover a little more about this stuff. But... Um, this is something I really wish that mom would pick up because, you know, some of the stuff I'm learning from this book, you know, I'm learning about myself and I question, you know, did I have parts in possibly making this disease with my mother or anything else in the family? Could I have been a reason for making that worse with some of the blame I used to put on you guys for stuff? No, no, not at all. Something that would happen between the both of you you know, would, would make us feel a certain type of way. And, you know, growing up, I used to be like, well, you know, I was raised like this, so this is my parents' fault. Well, that's not true. We're all raised a certain way, and it's still on us to make those actions and grow the way that we do. Um, so, I, you know, just kind of touching base on, on the, the social aspect, I feel like, you know, a, a lot of blaming um, could have been there on each other's parts. And, you know, maybe that gives you social anxiety to not want to go out and meet new people. And even now, I could still make you guys not really have that confidence to go meet new people because you've been together for so long. You know, I got friends in here and out there. I'm like, yeah, my parents have been together for 34 years. And they're like, oh, wow, they must love each other. I'm like, no, they fucking hate each other. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you love them so much that you hate them at the same time because you love them so much, you know. Mom used to say that to me. She goes, oh, yeah. she goes, I hate myself so much that I love you so much, and I can never understand what she meant, but that's <laughs> that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. Well, I said it was a love hate relationship. I loved, I hated to love her, and she loved to hate me. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it, just in case, um, it, just in case you can't hear Matt that well, it, I'm looking at the, the uh, the prelude to it, and it is. It's called "I Thought It Was Just Me, But It Isn't." Making the journey from what, um, from what? Oh God, I can't read the rest of it. Um, I thought it was just me, but it isn't. Um, by Renee, or it's Brene Brown, right? B R E N E, Brene Brown. Yeah, Brene. Yep, Brene Brown. Yeah. And it's on Amazon. It's only like eight thirty nine for a used book. Um, but why Matthew's been talking about it, I was reading about the book, and it does seem like a really good book. As a matter of fact, Matt, I'm going to download it tonight. Um, but I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. there is a lot of reading material that you know we try to figure things out ourselves, and which is, there's nothing wrong with that because we know ourselves better than anybody else. And when we go see counselors and doctors, you know everything's textbook. You know it's by you know, they, they can see 20 people and go by one textbook of one problem. And so everybody's dynamics are a little bit different. But just in the last, you know, two years is when I really started doing some insight 
and reading about family dynamics, you know, when there's a disorder involved, um, learning about BPD. And <laughs> um, all right, so it's recording again. Um, sorry about that. Just so the folks know that every half an hour it um, resets, so I have to hit record again. Um, but what I was saying was, you know, with people with BPD, when their other half tries reading about their disorder, the first thing they think is they're trying to find a way to be able to deceive them. You know what I mean? Just like if somebody shows you the security system for their house, you know, if you go to somebody and say, hey, can you show me where all your cameras are and, um, you know, what your code is for your electric, uh, for your alarm? The first thing they're going to think is you're going to try to break into the house. And that's how people with BPD are when you try to read about their disorder here I am. I was thinking, mom's going to go, wow, you really do love me. She looked at me and she said, why? So you can learn about my disorder so you can deceive me? I said, are you effing kidding me? <laughs> but that's one of the problems. That, it's going to make them, you know, it's going to make that person feel vulnerable because maybe they're not ready to accept they have it or want you to learn into it. Yes. At that point, they might end up becoming into denial. Well, I don't have this. I don't know why you're looking into it. And then they're going to make themselves believe they don't have it. Yes. Yep. Who, who wants to admit they have a disorder? I don't. Exactly. I don't care to admit it, but I have to accept it so I can deal with it. Nobody wants to admit they're broken. Exactly. No, that's a, that's a very good point because that, that's actually one of the biggest things with disorders and a lot of people don't, there's two reasons that most people don't. Number one is the shame, you know, cause nobody wants to be told this, they're broken. Something's wrong with them, especially with a mental health disorder. You know, so a, a million people would rather be told that they have arthritis um, opposed to that they have, you know, depression, you know, because with a mental health disorder, it's more prone that it can never be cured. It can only be treated. You know, if you have arthritis, you know, the same thing, you can treat that, but guess what? It's not going to affect how you, you know, talk to somebody and how you make them feel loved, you know, but a mental health disorder is just that stigma that this you're crazy. And as a matter of fact, just to touch on that, every, every disorder requires certain medications, even though there's, you know, for like depression, there's probably 30 different depression medications, but with certain uh, disorders, there's a regimen like with bipolar, which I have, there's um, three medications that I'm on. One of them is to help regulate the ups and downs. And the other one is for the social anxiety aspect. And the other one is um, for the, um, uh, for the jittery, uh, the, you know, the jittering and the shakiness and stuff like that, which is usually like a, a benzodiazepine, but I can't take those. So I have a mild one that I take. So my point being with BPD, mom is on, um, a regimen as well, but there's one medication, it's called Zyprexa. And the reason she won't take it is I made the freaking mistake when I was reading it to her. She said, yeah, my doctor said that if I take this one medication, um, it's supposed to help me so I can like, I don't know, t t be in touch with reality. And I said, no, what it means is it's help you perceive reality. So you can kind of step back. So if she thinks, you know, say she gets a whiff of um, perfume in the air rather than just going, oh, you snuck women into the basement. She can pause and say, oh, maybe it's just a fragrance of flowers outside coming in through the window. You know, it gives her that moment to step back and, and try to perceive reality a little bit more than just blurting it out. So when I was reading off the medication, guess what it's called? An antipsychotic. She goes, oh, no, 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 I'm not taking it. 
No, I ain't taking something. I'm not psychotic. So that was the end of that. So if I had never told her that it was an antipsychotic, she'd probably be on that medication right now. But I, before thinking, I just read it line for line. And it says Zyprexa is an antipsychotic. And she went, whoop, stop right there. <laughs> you know? So, but, you know, people don't realize, just like with, um, when you try to quit smoking, they um, prescribe you Wellbutrin. Wellbutrin is an antidepressant, but it doesn't mean you're a depressed person. You know what I mean? So I tried explaining to her that it, it does. What's that? To, to, to not cut you off. Yeah. actually something uh, I, I am prescribed at the moment as Wellbutrin. And I'm not really a depressive person. I'm happy-go-lucky every single day. You are. But to, you know, deal with my depression at the moment, I take medication. And before, I wasn't somebody that would ever take medication. I would be that one person that's like, I'm not broken. I don't need medicine. I will never use medicine. Yeah. I would self-medicate yep. for an addiction problem. Yeah. And because of that, I actually am studying into something where I have a co-occurring disorder where I have depression and, um, you know, some anxiety. Instead of taking medication prescribed as I should, I use, unfortunately, drugs. And they call it a co-occurring. So my mental health disorder affects my drug use and my drug use affects my mental health. Now, Matt, what is that called again? Because I'm sure people are interested in that. I've never heard of that. What is it called? Co-occurring? co-occurring disorder and i actually have something brief right here an introduction i could read for you if you'd like no please do because i've never heard of that before um this, this is what I, i'm diagnosed with at the moment is a, a co-occurring disorders um if we have co-occurring disorders, it means we experience a mental health disorder, such as depressive disorder, commonly referred to as depression, an anxiety disorder, or schizophrenia, and a substance use disorder at the same time. For an example, a person may be addicted to alcohol and be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Another person may have post-traumatic stress disorder and have an addiction to cocaine. Huh. So it's pretty much as we have a mental health uh, mental health disorder, and we use drugs, uh, street drugs, to cope with it instead of seeking help because we don't want to admit that we're broken and we self-medicate. So it's a way of hiding it from the medical field. Exactly. And, you know, any mental health disorder, uh, most, if not all, can be hereditary and passed down. Um and kind of like what we've been touching based on with the borderline personality disorder, this involves a long-lasting pattern of having extreme changes in relationships, such as love and hate, self-esteem, and other aspects of a personal image, along with impulsive, often volatile uh, behavior. Impulsive acts, including threat to suicide, may occur when that person feels he or she may be abandoned. And that's a lot about what we're talking right, right about now, because, I mean, it happens a lot within our family, including, you know, unfortunately, but with my mother. You know, she she has everything described here, and there may be more to it, but until we actually get the help we need to search into these disorders, we won't know what else we're diagnosed with. That's I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up because I've never even heard of that, and that actually gives me a lot more insight. You know, to like issues that I've gone through and you've gone through. As a matter of fact, I don't know if anybody 
I don't think I've discussed this before with my episodes, but I mean, out of the six of us in the family, there's me, mom, um, and four siblings. Um, out of six of us, five, five out of six of us have had, you know, drug and alcohol issues. And what's really fucked up is mom, who has the worst of a disorder, is something she never asked for. And she never had any drug and alcohol issues. You know, she's been the one that's always been straight, uh, never abused anything. And here she got something. And I think, to be honest with you, I never brought it up with her, but I'm wondering in her mind if she thinks, you know, like here's all these kids and my husband abusing alcohol and drugs and bringing themselves, you know, whenever they had an issue, you know, they got to escape from it and I had to deal with it. And I'm wondering if that kind of triggered some of her disorder too, because she did, she always had to deal with it straight because she, to me, I know like Mariah has like, um, gone against what I've said this before, but I honestly thought mom was an awesome mother. You know, maybe you guys see it differently because you, you lived it. But what I saw from the, from the outside looking in, you know, she always, you know, had your laundry done. She had you guys fed, um, you know, kept the house clean and stuff like that. And she always felt that she had to be in the right state of mind. And she said that before she said, I was the responsible one. You know, I had issues I had to deal with. My mother was crazy. Um, you know, and my siblings all hated me, but I had to deal with it straight because I had kids at home that relied on me. And that takes, you know, that to me takes a strong person where she had the ability at any time to abuse drugs or alcohol. And she never did because she always said she thought of being a responsible mother. And she said, that's where I took advantage of it, where she goes, um, you know, you got to get high every time you want to escape from your problems because you knew that I wouldn't, and I'd be there to take care of the kids. And I apologize for that many times. Cause even though I didn't do that on purpose, that might've been a subconscious thing that I did knowing that, you know, the kids were taken care of that as obliviated as I could get, or, you know, as messed up as I could be, the kids were always taken care of because mom was always straight. So, you know, that's another thing I apologized to her before. Not that I did it on purpose, but, you know, when I did realize that, that's when I tried to straighten my act out because I'm like, that isn't fair. You know, whenever she has an issue, the only thing she has to do is put her face in a pillow. And, you know, a lot of times when she said that I abandoned her and I was cheating on her, she didn't mean specifically with a woman she meant cheating on her as instead of cuddling up to her and getting comfort from her i got comfort from drugs or alcohol you know and to me that is the same as cheating you know because people cheat because of either two reasons they have a physical need or an emotional need and i had that 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 emotional need and instead of getting it from mom i got it from drugs so it's no different if i'm getting it from a woman or from drugs i was still cheating on her and in my eyes I mean, yeah, I'd rather have somebody, you know, sit there and smoke a joint than screw another person. But in my eyes, I apologized to her and I said, so all those times when you said I was cheating on you, you didn't physically mean with another person. She goes, no, I didn't mean it all the time. She goes, yeah, a lot of times I did think of it, but I was, I did. I cheated on her emotionally with drugs because I didn't, you know, go to her. So what you were just saying, not to get too off far track, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it really does. And I'm glad you brought that up because I never even knew that. I just learned something new, you know? So thank you. I can kind of see how it screws with so 
somebody where, you know, like I've been told, um, you know, having a, a drug problem most of my life growing up, um, I've had other halves tell me, you know, why do you drink so much or why do you smoke marijuana? Why do you do this and that? And I was like, well, because, you know, unfortunately, I experienced life where I'm miserable unless I'm under the influence somehow. And they took it as, well, you need to be under the influence to be happy with me. And I'm sure that affected them mentally, too. And that could have put them in a a long-term state of depression or have other mental health issues because of me trying to control my own issues could have sent them down. So, like, mom, for instance. Oh. Matt, I just want to um, say quickly that we had um, a technical issue. Uh, Matthew was disconnected from us briefly, um, but he's back on the phone. And Matt, do you remember the spot you were talking about with uh, something you started saying, Mom, before you got disconnected? Yeah, right before uh, we ended up getting disconnected, uh, I was just kind of touching base on the fact of uh, being able to trigger somebody when I was saying about with mom, <laughs> with uh, uh, my my drug use, you know, you were kind of saying how she went through life being sober and she had to deal with everything being sober. So that may have brought out, you know, her disorder a little bit. Yep. You know, as a kid and teenager going on um, using drugs, she would always ask, you know, why why do you need, have the need to get high? Why do you need to drink? You know, do you understand what it does to me? And, you know, me personally being, you know, kind of young and dumb, I'm just like, you know, I don't know, it's my life, I should be able to do what I want with my life, you know, I can drink if I want, I can get high if I want, you know, so when you think you want to see what that does to me, I never took into consideration the mental health aspect of it, I didn't think how it really affected her, I figured maybe, yeah, it might make her sad, might make her a little depressed, but... I, I never thought that that might actually pull out her disorder and make her go into a worse state than it would have if, you know, I wasn't using or, you know, I didn't cause certain drama in the life. You know, I, I understand on things we did as kids may have also helped contribute to these disorders getting worse and growing, especially not being treated for it. Um, it's like a slow ticking time bomb and and something like that where she was kind of reaching out that might have been her way to you know I have something wrong with me why are you doing this it's getting worse but she just didn't know how to voice it and and if that makes sense at all no it does because I think a lot of it like I said I take you guys can't take blame for causing an adult's disorder but I definitely could because that's probably one of the issues that I did. I remember one time I told her, I think I did it out of anger. She said something about, you know, why do you always have to be, or she said, I think she said, would you have to be high to be around me? And I said, yeah, I have to be on something, be around you to deal with you. And I shouldn't have said that because that was so wrong. But I think I just said it out of anger, out of a response. And it wasn't true. It was because she didn't get help and the only, you know, whatever I tried didn't work. And I, you know, I could have either walked out of the situation, but I ended up deciding to numb myself so I could deal with it and 
that wasn't right either. You know, I can't sit here and say, you know, well, I had to be on something to be able to deal with it because, you know, that shows true love. No, nothing. I, I'm not minimizing anything I did. That was wrong. You know, the right thing would have been to done. If I couldn't deal with her being straight, then I should have left. Exactly. That was a wrong decision on my part. And not only that, it wrecked my life completely, you know, got me into addictions and financial troubles and, you know, all kinds of other issues and physical ailments and, you know, that's the wrong thing to do. And I had a listener actually send me in an email and he actually mentally abused his wife by telling her, um, I have to be on something in order to deal with you. And I sat there and chastised him and told him that was the wrong thing to say to her. And I'm looking back and I said the same thing, but I said it out of anger, which doesn't make it any better, but he was actually blaming his wife for his addictions. He said, I had, you know, you made me get addicted to shit because I had to be on something to deal with you. No, the right thing is if you can't deal with somebody being straight, then you can't be in that relationship at all because all you're doing is you're hurting both of you, you know? And, um, you know, like mom said, she always had to be straight, you know, in case one of us overdosed or something like that. So it was wrong, but so, but I, you know, I didn't know if there's anything else you want to touch on. Is there another subject you want to bring up, you know, about you growing up or, you know, is there anything you think that attributed to, you getting sent away. Yeah, like there's a couple aspects on, you know, I, I want to touch base on, and like being an outsider point of view and watching kind of seeing this disorder grow because of other people. Like I would like to touch base on watching how mom was affected with the way that, you know, her mother, my grandmother would treat her. Seeing how she was affected with the two of you, the way she was affected by stuff I would do with Mike, Mariah, and so on. Um, and, and Thank you for using Global Telling. Again, I apologize for the uh, technical difficulties. The phone's system at the prison, um, sometimes it'll abruptly do that, so I apologize. Um, so Matt, you remember the part where you before you got cut off, you were saying about mom's mother and her grandmother? Yeah, I, I was just saying uh, I want to touch base on uh, how mom was affected by pretty much all, all the relatives in the family and, and possible friends that were around at the time. Uh, but given the you know technical difficulties uh, that were having by uh, GTO and our wonderful facility here at New Hampshire State Prison. <laughs> Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> um, one thing I would ask is, you know, if possible, um, if you feel like reviewing another episode from, you know, a uh, interview with me. Oh, there's no doubt about um, that, if Matt. Any, if there's any questions, you know, that you would like to ask, if something that we didn't talk about, you know, if there's something you want to know about my childhood or how I feel about a certain situation, any type of question you can conjure up.
uh, growing up around this disorder or, you know, just anything that may have been able to relate to this, I guess. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. And, and just in case um, the Audible uh, might not come out that great, what Matt was saying was send me an email and I have the email in all the show notes. It's thirddegreepodcastnh at gmail.com. And you can send it specifically um, a question for Matt himself, and I'll read it on the air, and he can um, answer it directly to you. You can say anonymous, like you said, or give your name. doesn't matter. But that way, if you have a specific question, you know, if you are a parent, um, either has BPD or doesn't have BPD, if you're on the other end of the spectrum like I am, or if you're a child yourself that lives with somebody that has BPD and you have a question on either, you know, that you want him to answer or maybe his opinion or maybe even a suggestion he may have, send that to me and I'm going to be doing another episode with him probably in another week. And um, that'll give me some time to um, get some emails from you guys and we can add that into the uh, the show. So that's a, that's an excellent idea, Matt. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't even think about that, but that's an awesome suggestion. But um, yeah, so like you said, we're going to wrap up this episode. Do you have anything you want to end the episode with, Matt? And that's, that's excellent advice. You know, like you said, try to, you know, if you love that person, like I, I end every episode saying, you know, if you love somebody that has BPD, love them as much as you can, understand them as much as they can, because they don't understand themselves and they don't love themselves as much as we think they can. And, you know, if you love them, you know, go, go through every possible option till you've exhausted everything, but don't give up. I mean, these people didn't ask for this disorder. It's, Usually a lot of it is a little bit genetic, um, but a lot of it is things that are brought out, things that they've lived through. And I honestly think that if I acted a lot differently, maybe her disorder would have subsided a lot more. And if I had acted differently, but we're all human, so we can't sit there and beat ourselves up over it. Um, but I love my wife more than the air I breathe. And I just wish I could go back and change things. And the same thing as my kids, I would have given them a better life or at least a less, um, you know, messed up, fucked up life if I had changed things a little bit better. But we're going to end this episode. Like I said, I want to thank my son. Uh, what's that, Matt? Uh, I was just going to add in there one more real quickly. Yeah. There, there's no such thing as a stupid question. The questions we don't ask are the only stupid ones. So please feel free to ask anything. Get as much input and information as you can. <laughs> Wow. And that's messed up because I just told my boss that last week. She said, she said, don't feel free to ask me questions over and over. And I said, well, they always say the stupidest questions are the ones that you don't ask. So it is true. So like I said, we're going to end this episode and I want to thank Matt very, very much for being my first interview. And I think it's probably the one of the most important ones because it deals with the dynamics of family life, living with somebody who has BPD in the family. And um, like I say, every episode, if you live with somebody who has BPD, love them as much as you can. 
and understand them as much as they can because they find it so hard to understand themselves and they find it so hard to love themselves. So with that being said, thank you again for listening and hope you tune in next time. I just wanted to say one last thing, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, um, my son's at the New Hampshire State Prison for Men in Berlin, New Hampshire. And if anybody's looking for um, a pen pal, um, he's looking for, you know, like a female that would write to him and, you know, become correspondents back and forth. But at the same time, if you're like a counselor or a pastor or anybody that would like to offer him some support and write him a letter, you can send me an email. Again, it's thirddegreepodcastnh at gmail.com. It's all in the show notes. And, um, you know, he'd love to get some mail from you. Isn't that correct, Matt? Okay, so I just want to throw that in there. <laughs> so he's a good kid. Like I said, um, he's an awesome kid. He really is. He'll be out on the streets hopefully in like six months. But anybody, any prisoner likes mail, and he's definitely one of the people that would be awesome to write to. So again, with that being said, thank you again for listening. You've been listening to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. I hope you enjoyed the show, and please check out my many other episodes. I hope you get some beneficial suggestions from my experiences. And remember, we're all responsible for our own choices. I'd like to remind you that if you have someone in your life with BPD, try to understand them and love them as much as you can, because they find it so hard to be able to understand themselves and love themselves. Well, thank you again, and have a happy life. Hi, if you'd like to contact me with any questions, suggestions, or if you'd like to be a guest on one of our shows or would like an email read on the show, you can contact me at thirddegreepodcastnh at gmail.com. That's spelled T-H-I-R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-N-H, thirddegreepodcastnh. Again, that's at gmail.com. I hope to hear from you. Thank you again.